Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation 17. And I just want to, I'm not, this isn't my message. My message is kind of in two parts here tonight. And I'm excited about just showing you a little bit of what the prophecy aspect, but also because I'm a missionary, I want you to see what God is doing in that part of the world. Revelation 17, I won't read the first six verses, but it's about a character named Mystery Babylon, the harlot. And once again, I teach for an hour on this subject to prove it's the Roman Catholic Church. And the city it represents is the city of Rome. But I don't have time to do that right now. But um, plans are ongoing is what I'm showing you for a one world government and a one world religion. And when you see that the, it says the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, that's that religious city, and have drunk of the wine of her fornication, when you know, what is, I hate to say this, but when a man wants to, in secular, when a man wants a, in the secular world to get with a woman, can I be kind of gentle and kind? Wine is a factor. Alcohol is a factor. That's what we're seeing here. The Roman Catholic Church is whining and dining the kings of the earth, and certainly in the Arab world. We're seeing that with our eyes in the last few years. Um, she sits on a beast, and we're going to talk about the seven heads and ten horns. Again, I can teach for an hour on it, but I just want to give you something tonight. And, and if you have me back, I'll be glad to do it uh, sometime on a prophecy conference. But let's go down to verse 7. So without spending a whole lot of time, I want you to see that we're talking about the world harlot church, the one world church, and it's spearheaded by one city. And without question, when you go through these verses, it's the city of Rome, and it's the Roman Catholic Church. All right, verse 7, the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and we believe that the beast gets assassinated and makes a miracle, miraculous recovery by the power of Satan, or with, IT, with you know, the intelligence we've got, our AI, and I can't go into some other place. I couldn't get to India's till May of last year. So these things are causing there to be a clamoring for a world government, the seventh one. Then it says here, the beast is the eighth, and he's of the seven. Not only does he come to total power, but the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now an hour, you know, showing that, that he has a short reign. And really he does. You know, seven years is, is according to Daniel. Uh, the, the, the 70th week of Daniel is that, that window that he has. And uh, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So the world is hungry, folks, for a world leader. You see that everywhere. Um, they're meeting together. Now I would say it's not a tough guy like Putin. It's not going to be somebody that will just thrust himself on. And now he, The beast will be a tyrant, but not at first is what you're seeing here. He's going to come with his ten kings support. And I, who are the ten kings? And, and once again, I could, I could go on for, I could show you on a map that right after World War II, the, 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 the one world government advocates, the peace on earth advocates, had broken up the world into ten regions. They represent, I believe, the ten regions of the world that will come together under the authority of the beast after the seventh world government, which is just a short-term 
you know, something that could be taken over. That's what we see here in Revelation 17. It won't be a weak person. And so it won't be a tyrant, it won't be a weak person. I think it's going to be a European. I think it's going to be a strong guy. But his issue will be peace. And right now, you know, we don't have anybody that I can see. Although, I was going to mention this later, but this week, this week, Iran and Saudi Arabia sat down for the first time in, a lo- in years, and they made a peace agreement. Guess who brokered that? China. Isn't that interesting? G wasn't there, but his, his number two, you know, guy was there, brokering a peace agreement between these two enemies that have waged war in Yemen. They've waged war in Syria. They have hated each other for years. Now, they, this week, signed a peace agreement. We are on the precipice, folks, when we consider where we are. So that's just a little bit, and now I want to go back to what I'm doing in there, and then I want to close with a missions message of how we need to, to think about the time that we have, the time that we're living, and the time that we have to serve God. So if you'll uh, block this out, because the faces here, are, I would not want uh, to be on the, on the Internet uh, for obvious reasons. The guy on the left is my good friend Adnan. Uh, he's been there now for 10 years. Uh, I've had ministry there since 2007, but I've had different ones that have headed it up. Now Adnan is there. And uh, one of these guys, I won't tell you which one, is a Muslim that, that has been converted. Two of them are Hindus, and one of them is a Sikh. And I rejoice when we go over there. I get to preach to these guys. And that all, all they do is work all day. So they, many of them will come out just to hear some American guy talk. And we get to present the gospel to them. And, and then these guys disciple them. And, and uh, they work with the believers. Here's another group of believers. We had a setback in June. Adnan's wife passed away, 32 years old. Left him with three boys this past June. I was just there a month before uh, she passed away, and I saw this big, big lump on her throat. And, but, you know, the doctor said, yeah, well, we'll do radiation, we'll do chemo, she should be fine. And they did that, and they did make progress, and then she died of an aneurysm. You know what that means? It's the explosion of the artery there. So, so he buried her this past June. That's him there on the cot. They had to go back to Pakistan, where they're both from. So Adnan's there on the right. I was just there just before Christmas of this year, and I brought them all, about um, um, 250 shirts. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. Remember, this is a Muslim country. Remember, everybody's reading that, and many of them know enough English to be able to read that. And what a joy it is to be able to baptize guys, and, and then to go into the labor camps and, and see them. Uh, another leader, a uh, graduate of our Baptist Bible College in Pakistan, which I'll show you in just a minute where I just was teaching, um, the guy in the middle in the, in the blue is Simon. He's a, a four-year graduate, and he's now been there himself four years, going on his fifth year. So the two of them do the ministry in the labor camps, and believe me, there's a lot that has, there's so many labor camps, so they have d- disciple guys, and once again, a baptism there, uh, a Ugandan, an India, from India, and a, a Pakistani, so a Muslim, a Catholic, and a, a Protestant there being baptized, always a joy to baptize there, and uh, this again, this past December, I baptized that Muslim young man uh, right there, and uh, you can see the city of Dubai in the background. What a joy that is. And you know, all, all the way, uh, he was sitting behind me, and I was in the front seat, of course. Uh, Simon was driving, and, 
And uh, we talked to him about his, his newfound faith in Jesus Christ, a Muslim. And that's so exciting. We've, we've seen, oh, probably 6 to 12 Muslims come to know Christ and be baptized and then go back to their countries. And I'm telling you, it doesn't always go well, but that's another story. So now Simon just got married, so that's his wife. I wanted to show you that. Now, what, what do these laborers do? Well, any work that has to be done that takes sweat and energy, that's what they do. They're airport workers, they're landscapers, they, they build all the buildings, they build all the oil fields, they do the pipe fitting. Everything that's done in that country comes, it's exported in from the biggest cities on earth, the people who have no jobs and are were willing to come. And there they are washing windows. Uh, they come into the city in jumpsuits so that the uh, government of UAE doesn't want them mixing with the people. That's forbidden. And they live behind the barbed wire. And so since 2005, I had the joy and the privilege of going for a week at a time, twice a year, and every night I'm in a different labor camp as these guys work all day, no use going during the daytime. And you just go, you can see there the guard, the security man, and I show my passport or a piece of ID, and of course the guys with me are Pakistani, he's Pakistani, so there's a camaraderie even though he's Muslim and we're not. Oh yeah, come on, they're glad to have us, can you believe that? It's so exciting. And then here's security, this is Tanvir. Tanvir's a believer. Tanvir's one of us. And so he wears his security shirt and he gets us in. So, so far we've, we've really had a blessed time going in there with the gospel. And uh, <clears throat> because of COVID, you can see a few masks. Uh, uh, we've had to meet outside in a lot of cases on the desert sand. Well, they just bring carpets out in the, near the bus garage where the buses are parked on the desert sand. And we have a meeting. Here's some guys trusting Christ as their Savior, which is always a blessing. I hardly ever have a meeting on the desert sand or in the dorms when somebody doesn't stand and confess Christ as their Savior. And in the background, how don't you see that? In the background are some uh, uh, Muslim guys that stopped their volleyball game. Now, a Muslim is not allowed to come to our meetings. They do sneak in, and those guys are listening, believe you me, and they're hearing, but... When they are not to become believers, that is against, you know, what the country wants to see happen. But I have the joy of going in, uh, and the, the guys push the bunk beds to the side. They invite all their friends. Some Americans coming, and now, you know, been doing this for so many years. They, they have many friends that will come, uh, Catholics, Protestants, some Muslim, but Hindus and Sikhs. Now, you know, the government of, of, of the Emirates doesn't care if Hindus and Sikhs get saved and baptized. They still want Muslims, but we're still rejoicing in the several Muslims that have been saved. This is recently, December, uh, out there near the buses and had a great meeting there. And then I addressed the 250 guys that I brought t-shirts for, and they are the disciplers and, and the faithful workers. And, and they're spread all over the UAE, from, from below Abu Dhabi to up near Al-Fajara. So there are many, many labor camps. So these 250, they're not together. You know, there might be three from this labor camp, five from this labor camp, one or two, you know, all spread out. And they're all wearing Jesus is the reason for the season. And what a witness that is. When, when you're in a country and you're not supposed to witness to Muslims, that's a witness. And, you know, it's so exciting to serve the Lord in that area. This Adnan, who's uh, addressing the crowd just before I, I was able to preach to them, and there I am in a sea of labors. I don't know if you can pick me out. And I'm a little different, maybe, looking than the others, but well, what a joy that is. Well, this is the one near the Saudi border where uh, our good friend... Um, 
There he is in the white t-shirt. I don't know if this is helpful right there. Yeah, that's uh, his name was Ahmed Shah when I first met him. He got saved. He changed his name to John Paul. They threw him out of the country, and he's been persecuted and basically living a very difficult life. His wife's Muslim. He now has four little children. He's not allowed to speak of the, I mean, the, the imams are right there in his village. There's a, a Muslim college of indoctrination in the Muslim faith right there. So he is living a very difficult life. He got saved about 10 years ago. There he is in the Bible. So you see how he's marked up his Bible? Yeah, just I would go year after year. And, and then he'd see, he and his, his brothers beside him, they'd stay afterwards. But Ahmed Shah, now John Paul, uh, he got baptized at our Bible college there in Pakistan. And uh, I see him whenever I, I'm there. I see John Paul. And this time we met up in Islamabad where we have a church plant and the church is going really well. And this was like three weeks ago, a, a picture, well, two weeks ago. And there he is on the right. This is Pastor Asher who, who founded the Bible College and who is my national leader there. Uh, and so we, we got together and then uh, he went to church with us. And uh, what a blessing. You know, he's, he doesn't go to church. He can't go to church. He, there's no churches in his part of Pakistan. He is right near the Afghan border where the Taliban rules with an iron fist. Where, where people are being brutally murdered and blown up still every week. You read about it. And that's where he's from. That's where his family lives. And so uh, I pray for him every day. I correspond with him through WhatsApp. But it's every time I'm there, uh, he makes an effort either to come down to the Bible college and we spend some time together a day or two, or in this case, up in Islamabad, the capital, was only a three-hour trip by bus, so he came over for that. Well, just a little bit about the ministry in Pakistan. This is our uh, Bible college that God has allowed us. By the way, it's in the book about how God raised up the funds, some from churches even here in Asheville and other places. It was amazing how that in a year or two, God gave us over $120,000 to build that building. I, I mean, I, just, I wouldn't have believed it, but God can. That's the thing. And that vehicle paid for as well, uh, as well as a vehicle that Asher drives. This is the Bible College students. This is like last week. I took that picture. And uh, here are some of the churches that we planted. We planted 25 churches in, in Pakistan, all pastored by four-year graduates of our Bible college. These aren't just, you know, I want to be a pastor. Okay, you're a pastor. No, these are trained guys, 25. And now we're working on our 12th building. This is our first building that we built. And it's in the middle of a, of a, of a Taliban stronghold area. And so we, we just got to be careful. We can't show, and I, I'm thankful that, you, you know, it's not going out. Um, I was in this church two weeks ago in the desert, on the, almost on the border of Afghanistan. And that is a picture of two weeks ago when I was able to be there with Pastor Iqbal. Uh, here's one of our churches, uh, Christ Church, Christ Baptist Church, I'm sorry. They're all Baptist churches up in Gershonvala. And when I come to this church, the deacons meet me with AKs. All right, so uh, <laughs> they want the Muslims to know, hey, no messing around. This guy's he's with us, and we have something to greet you if you cause problems. I, I'm assuming that's what the deacons are saying without saying anything, right? <clears throat> so there it is inside, always. Whenever I've been to that church, there's not a seat to be found anywhere. Just They just cram. People are out the windows and give the invitation. There's always several because they invite their friends. When they know that somebody like me is coming, they, they invite their friends. Their friends come and they hear the gospel. Uh, this is a church we just rebuilt, Community Baptist. I was just, this is again a recent picture just a few weeks ago. And there's the pastor in Tapas. That's what it looks like inside. 
Um, this is um, Pastor Bobber's church. Pastor Bobber and, and about four other guys, we were able to build this church with, with funds we received. Just again, uh, this was from a church in Greensboro. I don't know if anybody knows Charity Baptist Church. has been helping me for... Uh, it's all written in the book if you're interested in how God raised up the funds just like that. Pastor Bobber has, as well as Pastor Adil and Pastor Nadim uh, and Pastor Fios. They're old-time graduates. Now they're pastoring. And the good news is... They have discipled people in their church that are now planting churches. And I'm not having to fund them. They're raising the funds, mission funds, faith promise missions, so that they're getting their own guys to go to villages. And, and, and all I know is the names of the guys. I don't have to fund them. Well, which is a blessing because I, I, you know, I'm getting old. I'm not going to be able to fund everything. And, and our plan is we give them full support for about five years. And then we wean them off the support. And as God enables, we build them a building where they can move their family in on the bottom floor and not have to pay rent, and that, that's where they live. And the next pastor will live there if, if, they, if they don't continue. And then on the second floor is the meeting place. This is the second floor and filled with people, people on the outside uh, trying to look in. And, uh, there's, and I always like to build a baptismal on the top floor, on the roof, Rooftop meetings are, are really a favorite over there. This is the Islamabad church. And I was, uh, this is just two, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think I was in Islamabad. And uh, John Paul, you can't see him, but he's back there. And he was so happy to be in church. Because again, there's no churches in his area. He has nothing but a Bible. That's it. He has no family, no friends, nobody in his area. So you can just imagine how that is for a new convert. And to be a Muslim convert, which means you can't tell anybody. If you do, they could kill you. So he's, he's something else. Um, here's another, these are all churches. So here's how we plant churches. We just start on a rooftop and, and the national guy will graduate of our Bible college. Some of them even in their fourth year of Bible college are out planting churches. So we've got several of those guys doing it. And they'll meet on a rooftop, somebody's home, and they get up on the roof. The, the, the downside, and I've preached many rooftop meetings, is the Muslim call to prayer mysteriously all of a sudden wants to start while you're giving the invitation or sometime during your message. And it's hard to talk over them because they have loudspeakers all over the town, wherever you are. And you're always in a Muslim town. So I just remember, I just got done giving the invitation. A couple of people stood to receive Christ. Muslim call to prayer. I mean, you couldn't hear anything after that. So, you know, God's good. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you realize, I'm glad we got that meeting in. I'm glad we saw those souls saved. And they let the Muslims enjoy their call to prayer. Um, here's another uh, rooftop meeting uh, last year. Uh, here's, here's another. This is a church plant here. Uh, I'm going to show you a little bit more about that. But outside meetings. Sometimes they'll just block off a street. They just put like carpets on poles, block off the street, carpets on the street, and look at all the people that will come and sit there. And this is our newest church plant. And um, last year, they were meeting in this courtyard, and all those people, all the people standing in these pictures are getting saved. They're, they're, I've already sat down and preached my message. I'm taking pictures of those who are responding to the gospel message of salvation. So I was just there uh, just about three weeks ago, and this is the city of Multan, the third largest city in all of Pakistan. By the way, Pakistan is the sixth largest country population-wise in the world. It's, uh, and, and most people don't realize how... 
many people live in Pakistan. And so far, we've got all these churches planted, and, and it's, it's very exciting. This is uh, just as of a few weeks ago, and they've broken ground. I've been able to send funds for the foundation. I'm still trusting the Lord. I know He's going to provide, and we're going to get it built. Uh, for the, This church planter has been seven years there in the city of Multan, uh, getting the church established, and they'll have their own building soon, Lord willing. So these are just pictures of after, after preaching the gospel, people standing to receive Christ as their Savior, and uh, what a joy that is. And, and uh, baptizing, and this old, older lady, 60, looked to be in her 60s or 70s, wanted to be baptized in the river in March. I mean, that's like here in March, uh, a little warmer, but not much. And the river was cold, trust me. And uh, then she came in to the church service, had some folks saved there. That's her little church. This was a Catholic town, but the priest never visited. And so uh, all these people came to know Christ. One time I was there, that little uh, place was filled before they, that little place was filled. And I gave the invitation to almost everybody. Had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. All they knew about Jesus, because Catholics do talk about Jesus, but they never heard a presentation of how you can know that your sins are forgiven you're going to heaven. Uh, looked to be about 40 or 50 people. Stood, not, not in this picture, but a couple years ago when I was there. Now they have this church. They built that themselves, and I always praise God for that. Uh, here's the church. Nadim uh, been meeting in the city, just meeting in his, his family home. And I remember stepping over people just to try to get to where I could, you know, find a place to preach. And now, by the grace of God, he's got his own building. And when I was just there uh, this year, uh, beautiful balcony. And they've renovated that. I just helped them with the, with the, the um, um, they already found a building, but it was in sad shape. So I helped them and, and they've renovated the building. And this is the neighborhood. You know, I mean, how blessed are we, right, to have clean streets? This is, this is just so typical. Here's the garbage overflowing. And this is this, right down from the Bible college. Uh, because they can't cut wood, because many of them can't afford electricity, they heat with cow dung. And they splat the cow dung on the wall. Two days later, it's dry and ready to go. And here's me uh, getting a meal fixed, uh, over, uh, cooked over cow dung. So that's pretty typical. Um, one time a suicide bomber blew up in front of the Catholic Church down the road, 100 yards down the road from our Bible college on Easter weekend in 2015. And they did the same in 2016 in a different place. But they killed uh, about 40 people, so these, some of these people are memorialized by the Catholic Church. God spared our Bible college, but again, it's a tragedy You know, when people are killed. You just hate to see that, but that's what happened. So sometimes this is a Muslim mob, sometimes in India as well. Uh, I met with, with Muslim mobs. You have to turn the car around, try to go another way. But also I have people that guard me. I, I'm not, I'm not I require it. I don't ask for it, but after the meeting, these guys will come and ask for their picture to be taken with me. So then I know that they've been around with their guns. And so... Sometimes a police squadron, I mean, they don't want things to happen to an American. No country does, right? They, that, that's just a black mark on their country. So, and this is the last slide I'll show you. But always meet uh, uh, with the pastors, 25 pastors and some of their wives, and uh, meet for two days, teaching them just, again, refresh, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And um, they really love it because most of them can never afford to eat in a restaurant. So I took them out to, uh, took them out to eat, and what a blessing that was. So uh, thank God for for the opportunities that he has given me. Now, if you're turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, and I, I just want to make a, uh, a, an application, prophecy, and missions together. See what, uh, 
about the time in which we live and what Paul says. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for uh, the opportunity to go into all the world. And uh, this is just one place. And, and I thank you for what you're doing there and many other places where uh, I have the privilege of going. Thank you for churches that love missions and have missions conferences and, and care enough to support missionary nationals and, and, and others that are going. And uh, just pray that your blessing would be upon this missions conference. And thank you for uh, the, the folks that love uh, missions and, and want to spread the gospel around the world. Help us, Lord, as we take these few moments again in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> You know chapter 4 is about the rapture, one of our favorite portions of Scripture. But you know, usually people don't talk about chapter 5 very much. Well, that's what I want to talk about. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, that's the world, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. So there's a distinction made between the world, the secular world, what are they looking for? Peace and safety. Folks, you've never seen a time when the world has been so concerned about peace and safety. Peace. You say, well, no, there's a war going on. You know what? Nobody really talks about peace unless there's a war. Think about that. Or why would you talk about peace if everybody's getting along? All right, there is a war, Ukraine and Russia. We understand that. But think about the strides for peace. I told you this week that Saudi Arabia and Iran sat down together with the Chinese number two guy and made a, a peace, uh, which is a historic peace. The Abraham Accords that President Trump's son-in-law went over and, and spent years putting together involving UAE. That's why in two weeks I'm, I'm allowed to fly from Dubai to Tel Aviv. Never, never was there flights between those two countries. But because they had a peace treaty just a couple years ago, um, UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan sat down with um, the, the officials from the American government and made peace with Israel. Uh, we're seeing some tremendous strides ahead with peace. Even, even this, this war in, um, in Ukraine, it's not really a war, quite honestly. I, I don't even like to call it. It's an invasion. I think they ought to call it what it is. I mean, I don't think it's a war. I think this one country invaded another country. I don't know. I guess you, I don't know if you agree with that, but I don't, I don't see that as, you know, that's what, that's what it's, it's, it's one side aggression. But anyway, they call, it's called a war. Um, <clears throat> so in April 24th of 22, um, uh, Gutierrez from the UN went there to try to solve it. Of course, very powerless UN didn't get much done. Then the Pope went in there uh, and met with uh, the Russian Archbishop Kirillov and tried to solve it. No, it didn't get solved. But the point is, there's, there, the world is trying to solve that conflict, and, uh, and, and, and peaceful accords are being made. Another one is between Russia and Turkey. I was flying uh, through Istanbul just before COVID hit, and on the TV screens, I was delayed. Um, and on the TV screens, there was Putin and Erdogan of Turkey. And they said, it was an English-speaking broadcast. It says, for the first time in history, a Russian and a Turkish head of state met together to sign a peace treaty. And it involved troop movements. And it involved trying to do something in Syria. And Russia really wants to do something in Syria. Russia now has a, has a clear path to Israel. 
Ezekiel 38 and 39, which I love to teach on, that represents an end time war, I believe in the tribulation, some believe just before the tribulation, where the Russian orbit comes down. And the only way, if you look at a map, that they come down against Jerusalem is they have to go through Turkey, they have to go through Syria. And now those two nations are aligned. You see, Turkey was in NATO, still is, but yet they make a pact with Putin. Isn't that interesting? And so peace is on everybody's mind. Lebanon, which has long been at war with Israel and has harbored um, the, uh, the terrorist, Iranian terrorist organization, Hezbollah. They, uh, Amos Hochstein, in October, this past October, made a, an agreement involving the oil fields. Israel, on, off the coast of Israel, has many oil fields now. And they're in, 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 in operation. Lebanon is now claiming a little bit of te- territory in which some of those oil fields could be on their part of the water of the Mediterranean. Now they've got an agreement where Lebanon ag- has, has made an agreement with Israel, something they have never done since 1948 when Israel became a nation. Can you see how peace is taking over the thoughts of even the Middle East? And now because of oil, they've signed an agreement as of October 28th of 22. So we are seeing one thing after the other, peace and safety. What about safety? Well, COVID taught us a lot about how people are concerned about safety. Safety. Got to shut down the businesses. Got to shut down the state. Got to shut down the government. Got to shut down immigration. Got to shut down air travel. And they did a pretty effective job for two or three years. I, I did the best I could to continue, and I was able still to travel to some countries. But there were some countries, India, Bhutan, Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, none, none of them would allow me in. But thank God, still go to Pakistan, Malawi, um, and uh, basically I was reduced to those two, and, and UAE, sorry, UAE, uh, the, the labor camps. But peace and safety, everybody was talking about peace and safety. Glad I wear a mask. As soon as I would show up at the, at the border, I had to show the fact that I had had my uh, COVID uh, PCR test. Everything had to be screened because of peace and safety. Sometimes I'd come in from Malawi and I'd be on my way home, but I'd be going through Dubai and I'd have to get a test right there and then. And it was amazing. All the people coming off a plane right into the testing facility, up your nose and off you went. And they immediately had the result. Peace and safety has become a concern, an all-consuming concern in our world. And what did What did Paul say? But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Verse 3, For when they, that's the world, shall say, peace and safety. I will contend that I don't think I've ever seen a time, I'm almost 70 years old, when the world has been so concerned about these two issues together, peace and safety. Now, what did Jesus say about the times and seasons? Go back to, I'm almost done, but go back to Matthew 16. I know there are some people that say, ah, times and seasons, everybody's talking about times and seasons. Well, Jesus talked about it, so let's see what he says. Matthew 16. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? That's from our Lord. 
Our Lord is saying, you can tell what the weather's going to be like tomorrow by the looks of the sky, by the signs. But yet you are not, here I am, basically he didn't say this, but he was implying, I'm the Messiah. The prophets all foretold that I would come. And you are rejecting me. What about the signs? Pay attention to them. And he called them hypocrites. Because here he was fulfilling everything that all the prophets said about him. And they rejected him. Are signs of the times important to the Savior? I think they are. Were they important to the Apostle Paul? Yes, I think they were. Therefore, they ought to be important to us. And we need to realize the time in which we live is... I know the word unprecedented is used far too much in the news media, but it's unbelievable what we are experiencing. And Paul said, right on the heels of his rapture lesson, be looking. I'm looking every day. He said, well, then how can you be a missionary if you think he's coming in anymore? Because we still have time. While we have time, there are souls that need to hear the gospel. Well, I don't think we have much time, folks. I look around the signs of my times. I haven't even talked about the filth of America yet. I could. I could go to 2 Timothy 3 and talk about child sex slavery and, and abuse and how that, that Paul said that would be the sign of last days. You know, the pride, the selfishness. You know, everybody loves a selfie now, right? The last few years. Selfies are a big, big deal. Well, that's what Paul describes in, in, in 2 Timothy 3. Pride. Pride in being trans, pride in being gay, pride in just pride, pride, pride. Look up what the sin of Sodom was. It wasn't just homosexuality, it was pride of it. I'm, I'm getting into other messages, but I'm just telling you folks, we are living in the last days and we are still told to get the gospel out. That is our mandate. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So if ever you were to support missions around the world, it's today. And we have the freedoms of media and so many things. I can get on the phone. I've got WhatsApp. A free phone call to any of these guys. And I haven't even showed you near the number of people I work with on a regular basis that I could call and they could call me. That's amazing. Toll free. We have some great opportunities. And this is the time when we ought to be focusing on those opportunities. So let's turn back as we close to 1 Thessalonians 5. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Verse 8, let us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another as also ye do. Verse 18 of chapter 4, he ended that chapter by saying, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's comforting to know that we're in the last days. It really is. Jesus is coming, and I'm trusting he's coming in my lifetime. I'm going to continue until he comes. And if I, if I die, well, you know, that happens. But I don't expect to. I think he's coming, and I've never seen the signs of the times like they are today. And I trust that uh, just what, what I've shared with you will will help you to understand how important world missions is. There's people who will listen to the gospel. You know, here in America, you know, you try going around and passing out a track, nobody wants to hear it. I mean, I hate to say it, but not where I go. You know, there's people longing. They'll flock to hear, but nobody's going. Nobody's supporting. Nobody, not, not, I don't need, 
God supplied my support. I'm not asking for anybody's support. God knows what I need, and he's, he's been faithful for over 20 years since I resigned the pastor up in Canada and, and started to do this. It's just amazing. So I'll, but some of these missionaries need your help, or they won't get to go to where God's called them. And so I trust you keep your hearts open. Realize that the time that we live in, the times and the seasons, it's never been 